the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Hope you're having a great afternoon. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. This is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions. Anything and everything that's on your heart, we'll do the best that we can to answer those questions. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 8 Seven seven six three zero kslr That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. One banner, it'll say call now and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, our main number is 340-9585. We got a lot going on here at Calvary Chapel because it's Wednesday tonight. I'm going to be teaching uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in the 8th verse through chapter 10, verse 4. It's kind of a, you know, as a pastor, you get these messages that are really, really hard and dreary. This is one of those messages, but the application for us is New Testament believers is so rich um, you can watch that at calvarysa.com if you want to uh, or we invite you to be here usually Wednesday nights are, are a night we've got room so anybody that wants to visit can especially tonight because the other thing we got going on is our women's retreat which starts tomorrow and typically this will be the least attended um, Wednesday night service of the year just because everybody's getting ready for uh, the, the women's retreat that starts tomorrow so we'd love to have you come uh, ladies it's not too late to sign up you can do it online or you can just come to the church and do it if you want to go and can't get here or or don't have access online then you can sign up at the retreat just show up at the retreat say you're one of the radio listeners we got a bunch of radio listeners who've signed up and indicated that they're coming um, the, you can check in tomorrow at uh, Camp Buckner in Burnett, Texas at 3 o'clock. And uh, I think the first session starts at 645, so there's plenty of time. Uh, Jean Davis from uh, Calvary Chapel in Post Falls, Idaho, that's right next to Coeur d'Alene, um, is our guest speaker. And Paula, I think, will be speaking tomorrow night. So uh, we would love to have you join us. Uh, but for everybody in the audience, please, please, please be praying. Uh, for the ladies, we've uh, we tell them every year this is a, a weekend date with Jesus. And we want them to to be alone. We want their hearts to be ready, and we're just praying as always that God does amazing things. So that's tomorrow uh, at Calvary Chapel. We'd love to have you. Let's get to some questions that have been sent in. Our first one comes uh, from Carlos from the northeast side. I like that, Carlos. You you always identify where you're coming from. Um, so thank you for sending the question in. 
I have a two-part question. I was watching the news, and day by day, I see nothing but evil deeds from people. I'm not perfect and have sinned, but I guess my question is, can the devil plant evil thoughts in humans, or is it our own bad way of thinking? The second question that I have is, is the Old Testament in chronological order, as well as the New Testament after the four Gospels? Thanks for always answering my questions. God bless you, Pastor Carlos. Appreciate it. Um, First question is, yes, the devil can plant thoughts. He does it all the time. We have several instances, especially in the Old Testament, where Satan planted evil thoughts in David's heart and mind. And so, uh, yeah, that's what he does. He's always looking for opportunities. He's sort of like a boxer, you know, moving around the ring, sort of jabbing and fainting, looking for an opening to punch. And uh, that's what the devil does. And we need to know that. Uh, Because if we can, then we can identify the source of these evil thoughts when they come and not be overwhelmed by them. Paul says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Make your thoughts obedient to Christ. Uh, And that's the best means of avoiding falling uh, when Satan's messing with your mind. Uh, He'll never leave you alone, Carlos. He is relentless. And um, believe me, he is the little G God of this world. I say that because that's what Paul calls him, the, the, the prince of the air. And he's, especially in the fertile fields of unbelievers in the world that we live in, uh, yes, he is always planting thoughts. Having said that, I also want you to understand that we also are responsible. You said, is it our own bad way of thinking? You know, James says that we... Um, are tempted when we're drawn away by our own evil thoughts and desires, when we don't get things the way we want them, or we don't get the answers that we want. And um, we think like humans think. And our flesh, just because we're believers, Carlos, doesn't make us any better than unbelievers. So anytime you're in your flesh, then your own brain, your own thought process, we need to realize is corrupted And because it's corrupted, there's always going to be that ground for Satan to come in. Peter says that we're not unaware of his schemes. He's as a roaring lion prowling around seeking uh, whom whom he can devour, devour and just the right time to devour. And when he finds us in our flesh, that's when he's going to pounce and bad things are going to happen. You know, I've had a bunch of studies recently, Carlos, where um, the, the... the, the theme seems to be, you know, God has put us in this world to be light. The same, same way in the Old Testament, he chose the Israelites, that they would be light, that they would reveal to the pagan world the character and the nature of God. They failed miserably. Well, unfortunately, too many of us as Christians are failing as well. We're simply not being salt and light. We do what we want. Then when it doesn't work out, we repent. The Holy Spirit convicts us. But I think the idea here is that we've always got to be in the presence of Jesus. I say all the time, just be with Jesus. It's the only way, Carlos, that I'm able not to give in to my own mind or my flesh. It's the only way that I'm able to recognize the difference between my flesh and the things going on in this world. If I'm with Jesus, there seems to be a lot of light. And I I just want that light to keep shining, and I pray that you do as well. Uh, The Old Testament is not in chronological order. It's broken up in sections. There's a historical section. um, There's the poetic section. And then there's a prophetic session. That's a, a kind of a understatement, but, but those are the basic elements. And so they're not in order, uh, especially when you're reading um, uh, the kings and the prophets that were prophesying during their reign. Um, you, you've got to really do a lot of flipping back and forth. So uh, it's not in chrono- chronological order. Uh, I think probably the oldest written manuscript that we have in the Old Testament is the book of Job. And it's right in the middle in the poetic section of our Bible. So um, it certainly predates Moses writing the first five books of the Bible. So the chronological order uh, is not um, clearly evident in either the Old Testament or the New Testament as well. 
So I hope that helps, Carlos. Thank you. Appreciate the question. 340-9585. Here's a question from Randy. He says, Pastor Ron, I'm debating with a guy online about Calvinism, and he won't listen to my arguments about why it's wrong. What should I say to him? Uh, Randy, I hope you'll take this uh, in love and the spirit that it's given, but I also hope that you'll do it. Don't debate with people online. What is the point? We're to avoid being quarrelsome, getting involved in foolish arguments. And Randy, I know some people are really into this. But if you look at those types of ministries online, they're all out of balance. They're all unhealthy. And I think a lot of times, Randy, our debating with people or arguing with people is, and I'm not, this isn't personal to you, Randy, I just think generally speaking, I think this speaks to our egos, to our pride. We like to win arguments. We want to persuade people. And I'm really concerned, maybe more than anything else with the younger generation, the, the generation that's never not had an internet. Um, I think rather than read and study, uh, and let the Spirit of God humble us. Uh, I, I think we've been trained to debate. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says that even if we have all of the right answers, if we're arguing with people, debating with them without love, we're just noisemakers. And believe me, Randy, there's a lot of people making a lot of noise in the world that we live in. So uh, pull back a little bit and really ask the Lord to check your heart. Why am I involved in debating? Why do I want to convince somebody that what he or she believes is wrong and what I believe is right? Now, Randy, you've listened to this program. You've actually written in before. You know I am anti-Calvinism. So I understand. But... Here's the thing, you're going to learn to stop talking when people stop listening. And these people sitting at a keyboard, um, they really don't have, have any direction. They're just kind of shooting things out, and uh, they'll spend all day, instead of being in their Bibles, they'll spend all day online trying to promote their own belief systems. And imagine what your walk with Jesus would be like, Randy. Just imagine this for a moment. If you spent the time you spend online in these kind of endeavors, if you spent that time in the Word and in prayer with Jesus. I get people that tell me all the time that I don't have time to read the Bible as much as you say I'm supposed to. I don't have time to, to, to stop my day and pray. Well, be honest about the time you spend in front of a computer screen on a keyboard. Or, especially for the men some of the time, the amount of time you spend playing video games online. Think about those things and then ask again, Lord, do I really have time to know you better, to invest in that which is perfect and holy, your word? If you'll do that, your life will be enriched immeasurably. Now, I'm not a guy that says being online is horrible, you shouldn't do it. But you need to prioritize it. The other question I mentioned a little bit earlier, Randy, is that you've got to check your heart. What is the motive behind the reason that you're debating? Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We'd love your live calls and questions on this Wednesday afternoon. Jeremy wants to know. Uh, PR, Pastor Ron, is it true that to be part of Calvary Chapel, you have to have a specific eschatology? And if that's true, why? Um, Jeremy, the eschatology you're talking about, and for everybody, anybody in the audience who doesn't know, that that's means the study of the end times. And our eschatology here at Calvary Chapel is pre-trib and pre-millennial. The return of Jesus uh, will be before the millennium. Revelation chapter 19 happens before the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. That's what pre-mill means. 
Uh, and uh, pre-trib is a reference, of course, to the rapture of the church. It will happen before the Great Tribulation. And that is a distinctive of Calvary Chapel. It's what we believe. It's what we're confident the Bible teaches. And if somebody is going to be a part of our network of churches, then we want them to believe that. We also want them not to be Calvinists. We also want them to be uh, opposed to uh, the faith and prosperity gospel. Why? Because what we want people to know when they walk into Calvary Chapel in any part of the country Uh, We want them to know what they're going to get. Our founding pastor, Chuck Smith, used to say, you know, when you go to McDonald's, it doesn't matter whether you're in California or New York, you know you're going to get a hamburger, you know what it's going to taste like. Well, when somebody comes to a Calvary Chapel, we've got more than a thousand Calvary Chapels spread uh, across this country. Um, We want people to know what to expect. We want them to to know that the Bible is going to be taught. Typically, it's going to be taught verse by verse. We want them to know that there's going to be sort of a, a, a contemporary music style uh, so they're not caught off guard. We want them to know that we revere the Word and there's going to be decency and order in the church. So those are just things that are Calvary Chapel distinctives. And uh, our eschatology, we, we don't want to confuse the people in the flock. Why would we welcome somebody into our fellowship? Now, it doesn't mean they're not saved. It doesn't mean that God's not using them. It doesn't even mean they're bad people. It just means that we're wrong. So why would we want a Calvary Chapel in Texas to teach a pre-trib, pre-mill eschatology, and then another Calvary Chapel in Texas that somebody could go to to, to preach a, a, a post-trib or a mid-trib or a pre-wrath uh, approach, uh, and just, oh, you know, it's okay. We can agree with one another. We don't want to confuse the people. There's lots of churches, uh, Jeremy, that you can go to um, that have different eschatology um, doctrinal positions. Um, So if you agree with them and that position, then that would be a better church for you to fellowship with. You could walk together in unity with them. But I just can't imagine having a guest speaker come in from another Calvary Chapel and sort of undo what I've been teaching our people for well, twenty almost 24 years. So, yeah, we want you to be one of us. That's what we're in fellowship to accomplish. I'll give you one, um, um, I think, glaring example of the need to be uh, on one accord doctrinally. Uh, the so- Southern Baptist Conference, Jeremy, um, is uh, in the last, oh, 10 years, uh, has been been heavily infiltrated by Calvinists, and finally Calvinism, uh, they call it neo-Calvinism, uh, is is uh, the majority view. And so you could go to Southern Baptist Church, and in in one church be taught um, the unbiblical doctrines of Calvinism, uh, and then in another church be taught that um, God loves you and you can proclaim the word to everybody. So. It's it's just confusing. We want people to be in agreement, and there's no shortage of churches that, that have differing doctrinal positions than Calvary Chapel. So, Jeremy, I hope that answers your question and the motive why. There's nothing sinister, believe me. Um, you listen to this program in the past. Uh, I've got some people that I, I admire greatly who are Calvinists. I just think they're really horribly wrong, and I've seen the bad fruit that comes from that doctrine, Um, but some of those people are my friends. Some of the people are are Bible teachers that I've been listening to for um, most of the time that I've been saved. Um, I'm I'm discerning enough to know when to turn them off, but uh, in this particular point regarding our eschatology, we want everybody that comes to Calvary Chapel we want them to be waiting for the return of Jesus. We don't want them to be waiting for the Antichrist, or we don't want to have them waiting for the Great Tribulation. We want everybody to live their lives as though Jesus was coming tonight. I always pause when I say that for a moment, thinking, okay, come now, Lord. But the idea is that the first century church was pre-trib and pre-mill in their eschatology. All you have to do is go back to the Apostle Paul's writings. And because 
their pre-trib, pre-mill, because that's the Apostles' Doctrine. We want to do that. I personally believe, um, Jeremy, that uh, that was one of the reasons that they had so much power in the early church. I think every morning those first century Christians got up, looked at the eastern sky and said, today's the day. And there was a sense of urgency with their message and with their ministry. Let's go to San Antonio, Texas now and talk with Ray on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I was just puzzled and not really surprised that uh, tomorrow being Thursday, the date day edition, I, I thought, well, possibly since it's been postponed when there have been problems, it might come early and it might have been the Wednesday, Thursday date day. But, you know, I just I just didn't know what was going to happen or if we're all going to be missing uh, the precious Paula tomorrow as I know you will. So I'll get off and see what you have set up. Thank you, Ray. God bless you for that. You know, I, I actually thought about that for a moment. Uh, last week, because of the technical problems, we de- we delayed it today, so we had it on Friday. Um, but today, Paul is running like a chicken with her head cut off all over the place. I think right now she is at the airport, probably listening to this program in the car, at the airport waiting for uh, Jean's flight to come in, which I think arrives any moment now. And um, uh, it just would have been impossible, as busy as she is today. You know, one of the things that you don't understand, our retreat, men's retreats, Ray, you've been to them. Uh, our men's retreats are really simple. We show up. We uh, Nobody cares what they look like. Nobody cares what the camp looks like. Um, we just get there, start hugging each other, and can't wait for Bible studies. Uh, we want to eat, and we want to eat the food of the Word, and we want to eat the food that we have. Uh, and so the, it, doesn't, it doesn't take any work. There's very little work. You know, I think the last thing that we do is make sure somebody's bringing snacks. But uh, not so with the women. Uh, the women will be out there at the camp tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock, and they will be um, setting things up. Don uh, has a big crew, and and the, the, by the time the bulk of the ladies get there in the afternoon, that place will be stunning. It will look wonderful. I always tease them about ice sculptures. You have ice sculptures. And um, so there's just a lot to do. Uh, Paula has been bombarded with um, texts and calls about room assignments and all those things. Paula does that herself. She prays about where to put the ladies. And um, um, beyond that, uh, she is just so busy, it wasn't possible for her to be here. Uh, We will tomorrow run a date-day edition of the program, but it will be a repeat broadcast, Ray. And then I'll be here uh, Friday as normal for our uh, Friday, the end of the week program at four o'clock. Uh, our church is completely closed down after tonight uh, until Sunday because the ladies are gone. So the school's closed down, multimedical's closed down, uh, and there's just not a lot going on um, um, because our announcer said this weekend, we don't know what to do when the ladies aren't here. So uh, we won't have a Bible study Friday night. Uh, and then Sunday we'll all wake up and everything is normal. By the way, this is maybe not too late to remind everybody, and I'll try to do it Friday. If my producer will remind me, I'll try to do it Friday. Saturday is when we turn our clocks forward. Um, um, we lose the hour of sleep that we gained um, in the fall. Uh, and um, because we do that, we have our biannual um pancake breakfast this coming Sunday. Anybody wants to come to church, uh, get here before 10, 10. We have a service at 8.30. Uh, and there's always people that forget to turn their clocks, so people will be earlier, they'll be late. Uh, but um, uh, we always have a pancake breakfast. Uh, tons and tons of people. We serve it until just when the, um, the second service is about ready to start. So from 7.45, we'll be serving pancake breakfasts. And uh, we'll stop at about 10.10. So uh, you are welcome to come and enjoy. I like when we do that kind of stuff. Um, this weekend, we will have uh, our ladies' worship team, the, the team that is is doing worship at the 
uh, women's retreat. Uh, we always have them uh, lead the worship. Uh, all the ladies will be in their uh, retreat T-shirts, and it's always exciting. You know, some of the ladies look a little bit tired because they get out there and they don't sleep. But uh, there's always a sense of excitement and gratitude for what the Lord has done. Um, so, Ray, that's what our schedule is going to be. Um, so no live program tomorrow, but the program will be um, rebroadcast. Uh, we also tonight, just sort of in the interest, I'm under one minute, so I'm not going to go to another question right now. Uh, but uh, tonight, uh, our our high school uh, worship team will be doing the worship. Uh, I always love that. You know, I've watched these kids uh, from the time they're babies and to see these uh, young men and women. I think tonight our group, I was told, is girl heavy in honor of the, the, the retreat. But um, uh, it, it's really, really a good, um, just, just glorious time to see what God has done in their hearts and to see young people really, really in love with Jesus. Well, you can hear the music. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show, the second half of the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I just got some good news. Um, I'm uh, waiting for a text. Um, my producer's waiting for a text. Tell me if it's okay to share. Um, so, um, Paul, I know you're listening program. I'll, if I can put it out in the air, I will. Here is a question from Anonymous. It seems like the early Christians were so much holier and more focused on Jesus than today's Christians. Do we have any hope of being as close to God as they were? Anonymous, the great thing about the Holy Spirit is that each and every one of us individually can be as close to Jesus as we're willing to get. All we have to do is focus on personal holiness and walking with the Lord and being with Him. Now, I think part of the problem in our culture today is that um, we, we look at the church as a whole, and forget sometimes that the church is made up of individuals. And whenever we ask a question like this one, Anonymous, what we've got to do is say, well, you know what? I can start by, by making sure I'm closer to Jesus. Now, I think you're right. I think the early church was such a grateful church. They'd seen the hand of God move so powerfully in their lives. And I think they were inspired to holy living. I think it was something that they really desired to do. I think they were so eager for the Lord's return. Remember I said in, in, in response to a question on the first half of the program, when, when you live your life in such a way that Jesus come, could come back at any moment, then you're going to be close to him. You're going to be overflowing with power and with love. And you're going to pursue holiness. And we look at the church as a conglomerate. We think, well, you know, we're just not very powerful. Uh, here's the problem. It didn't last very long in the early church. You remember, Anonymous, if if uh, some 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus wrote letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, the church at Ephesus, a church that we would all look at and say, wow, that's a really great church. It's it's uh, doing great ministry. It's testing the spirits. It's doing all the things you're supposed to do. And yet Jesus said that uh, they've, they've left their first love. They, they were no longer really in love with Jesus. And that, that letter, again, 60 years from the time Jesus died and was resurrected. 
um, there was sin in the churches. Many of those letters that he wrote deal with with um, um, not only sinful doctrine, uh, but ego and pride and all kinds of things that were going on. And so it didn't last very long. And the same thing is true in our individual walks with the Lord. Um, it is impossible for us to focus on Jesus if we're not with him. And in our culture, and this is where the enemy, I remember earlier in the first half of the program, I said he's, he's called the prince of the air. It means that he's in control of the things, these radio waves, he's in control of the internet, he's in control of the flow of information that, that goes, you know, we think we're free and we want freedom of speech and freedom of expression. Apart from Christ, we're not free. We're captives of the evil one. And we're focused on what we can see, hear, feel, and touch instead of focusing on the goodness of God. And I think if there's any hope of us being as close to God as the first century church was at the beginning especially, it's only going to happen when we realize that apart from Christ we can do nothing. When we realize that all of our pursuits other than being with Jesus, are fruitless and unprofitable. And the only way, Anonymous, that you can do your part is to make sure that people look at you and see Jesus. You know, when I used to teach the Bible uh, as a young pastor, we first got here, I look at some of those pictures. I was looking at one today when I was preaching in Scotland. I looked pretty young back then. But but I, I remember praying every time before I'd go into the pulpit, I'd say, Jesus if they don't understand a word I say, if they don't hear anything that they agree with, please let them see two things. One, how much I love you. And then how passionate I am for your word. And if I did my part, then I knew Jesus would do his part. And for me to do my part, I had to be in love with Jesus. I had to stay close to Jesus. And I had to take Paul's counsel in the book of Romans when he says, never be lacking in zeal, but always keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And the only way any of us can accomplish that is to be with Jesus all day, every day. And there will be light coming from you that other people won't really understand but they'll want what you've got. Here is a question from Marty, and it's spelled with an I on the end, so I'm assuming this is Marty, a girl. She says, I get frustrated because I keep sinning and don't seem to be getting any closer to Jesus. Just when I think I've overcome something, something else comes up. Marty, I read that question, and it's very encouraging to me. Here's the thing. You want to get closer to Jesus. You're working hard. You know, Paul says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say to work for it. He says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And here's a principle that I don't think a lot of us understand. The closer we get to Jesus, the more like him we're going to be. But the other side of that is the more darkness in our own heart is going to be exposed. So when I say I'm encouraged by this, it's clear that your heart is to be close to Jesus. Paul said, what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? And of course, in verse 25 of chapter 7, he supplies the answer, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. In other words, he's the rescuer. Now I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. He is a bona fide hero of our faith. And yet he described in Romans 7 what you just described in your question. So I think what's happening, Marty, is that you're aware when you fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says that we all uh, sin continually and we fall short of the glory of God continually. And the frustration comes. We want to be like him, but the closer we get to him. You remember when Peter knelt down in the boat after this miraculous catch of fish, and he said, Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. 
Marty, I think that's what you're dealing with. I think you love him so much and you want to be so close to him. You hate your sin more. And you become more and more aware of your shortfall. And you want to fix it. So you keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You keep pressing in to get close to Jesus. And the rest of the world will see a Marty that looks just like Jesus. And and you'll have to deal with a heart that says, but I'm still falling short. I'm still falling short. Things that never would have bothered you before are bothering you now. And that's because you're working hard to get into the presence of our Jesus. Marty, he's smiling at you, so don't get frustrated. Just be with Jesus. 340-9585, that's one of the most encouraging questions ever. Uh, okay, okay, I, I just got an affirmation that I can, I can share the good news. Um, we've been waiting for uh, some results from a medical test. Uh, one of our teachers here, Daniel, and his wife, Jessica, were scared to death last week because... Um, you know, the doctors always give worst case scenario. And he just emailed me with the results of the test and she doesn't have anything resembling the cancer they thought she had. Uh, it's just an, an illness that runs in her family and it's manageable and they're going to manage it. So it's a really, really good thing. So uh, we asked for prayer on that uh, on the program a week or two ago. So um, there's the answer. I love when we get uh, our prayers answered. Ken asks, Pastor Ron, my church teaches tithing being for today, and I want to know if that is right, because on the Internet it says it's not. Well, Ken, in this particular case, the Internet is right. However, and this is a big however, don't settle your doctrinal issues on the Internet. Look at the Word of God. I also want to say, I'm going to give you an explanation in a moment why it's not for today. But I also want to say before that, that this is not an essential of the historic Christian faith. Uh, I am certain, my experience is, that there are many, 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 many more churches that teach tithing than who do not. Um, If I'm talking to a pastor who's always pounding his church to tithe, I would ask him, so where's your biblical New Testament position, principle for for teaching this? And there isn't any. Our standard for giving is giving with a grateful heart and a cheerful countenance. Grateful and cheerful because of what God has done for us. And we give, not a tenth, and that's what the word tithe means, Ken. We give... Because we realize that everything belongs to God. Now think about this from the perspective of the Old Testament versus New. In the Old Testament, they had to give a tenth of everything that had value. Money, food, uh, spices, um, all those things. They had to do it. So they would count out one for Jesus, one for me. Uh, or one for Jesus, nine for me. One for Jesus, nine for me. And and and, and that's in, in everything that we have. So um, the New Testament flips that upside down or right side up. And it flips it in such a way that we understand that ten for God, none for me. And then when we are willing to offer it all to the Lord, it's true, he lets us keep most of it. But we've pleased him so much because we've given in response to what he's given for us. Our Father in Heaven broke the bank of Heaven for us. He gave everything he had of value. And so this idea of a New Testament tenth simply doesn't hold in line with the New Testament Scriptures. Now, there's no place in the New Testament where tithing is mentioned except in Jesus' ministry. In fact, I think, Ken, this Sunday, um, uh, Jesus mentions tithing, but he's just mentioning that they do it. Now, remember, uh, in Matthew, he says, you tithe, and it's right that you do so. But he's talking to Jews who are under the law. Jesus' ministry was not a New Testament ministry. It was a ministry to Jews, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
And so when Jesus walked this earth, he tithed, he fulfilled the law. Because that's what he came to do so he could die for the sins of people like you and me. And there's no place else where we're told to give a tenth. Now the question then remains, why is it true that more churches teach tithing than do not? And without an ounce of judgment in my heart, Ken, I believe that it's simply because we do what everybody else has done. You know, I've had a whole lot of pushback over the years here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, well, well how, how can you do ministry you don't have the money for? Where's your budget for this? And where's your budget for that? I always tease them and tell them, you know, budget requires money. We don't have any money. God says to do something, and we do it. We take the step of faith, and then God provides. And there's a lot of pastors who I know love Jesus with all of their heart who think I'm the most irresponsible pastor in the world. On the other hand, I think a lot of them just lack faith. They don't have to trust God if they can depend on you. And so if I can get you to sign a membership contract, by the way, here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have membership. We, we just claim anybody who's been here more than once is a member. So we don't have formal membership. We don't make people go to a, a class. We don't make them sign a pledge to give their money or to join a certain ministry. We trust God to provide all of that. Now, he uses the church to do it. But our church has turned into such a generous church and remember, we're in a very confined space, so it's not like our church can grow. We can't add any more people to our church. So our income isn't going to go up because more people come in. God has just made our people very generous, and they've done so without ever being asked for money, without ever letting our needs be known, and without ever taking an offering. That takes faith. God told us to do it, and he challenged us to trust him. We've done that, and believe me, God has been faithful. Here's an anonymous question called into the station. What is the significance of ashes? Today is Ash Wednesday. I was wondering if I was going to get that question today. Uh, Ash Wednesday begins the Lenten season, and the significance, I think, is is actually twofold. One, it's a reminder a constant reminder that um, we started out as ashes and to ashes we will return. Um, and that's figurative because we started out with dust. Uh, if we're cremated, we're going to be ashes. Uh, if we are put in the ground, we're going to disintegrate, we're going to dissolve. Uh, I was told that what it takes uh, nature 39 years to do, um, a crematory will do in 39 minutes. But I think it's a reminder of being temporary. Um, you, you know, we don't have tomorrow promised. We don't have uh, years promised. And I think the ashes uh, initially were designed to remind us that this world is not our home. The second part of this, and this is really what I find um, sort of ridiculous about this religious ritual, and make no mistake, Anonymous, it is a religious ritual. Um, the, the Lenten season, we, we, and I say that collectively, um, we're, we're encouraged to give up something for Jesus. I'm going to give up food, I'm going to give up sugar, I'm going to give up this, or I'm going to give up that. Um, I know a lot of people that go offline, that's a good thing, by the way, uh, but they'll sort of have a blackout uh, or a limit on their uh, on their their um, connected exposure, uh, social media exposure. Uh, here's the thing that we need to understand: is we don't have to have an ash on our head to do that. Jesus said, "Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing." Or certainly not to trumpet it to other people. I'm a religious person. I got the ash on my head. You're going to see people walking around with ashes on their forehead all day. This is by and large a Roman Catholic tradition. Um, uh, Anglicans and Episcopalians and sometimes some other of the old line denominations will also get involved in this. Um, to me, it's the most foolish thing. If, if, if you're going to give something to God for 40 days, I'm going to stop doing it because I know it's not good for me, then we shouldn't be doing it at all. 
So that's the significance of the ashes, Anonymous. I think the first part of it is healthy. Um, I don't need any reminder. Believe me, as I'm getting older, I don't need any reminders whatsoever that my time on earth is temporary. I look back at my life and I've got a whole lot more behind me than I have going forward. And every time I take a bad step or every time Paula has to sort of push me out of the way because my vision is gone, um, I am aware that my time on earth is temporary. And I actually look forward to that. I don't need Nash on my forehead to do that. I think sometimes we have a tendency to um, allow sort of religious rituals to remind us of things that we ought to be living every day. So thank you, uh, Anonymous. Uh, I'm going to go to line two now and talk with Jerry from San Antonio. Jerry, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Jerry, are you there? Oh, Jimmy. Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. Okay, you're uh, you're on the air. Yeah, I um, oh, I'm thank I'm thank I'm really grateful that you said that because I've been to your church more than twice, and I'm a member now. Right? <laughs> we miss you though, Jimmy. I know I miss y'all too. Good. All right. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, Jimmy. God bless. Bye. Let's see if Jerry's online too. Jerry, are you there? We must have lost Jerry. Jerry, uh, we got a little bit of time left in the program, so if you want to call back, we'd love to have your question. 340-9585. Let's go to a question from Penny. Penny says, I saw a YouTube video where Lauren Daigle uh, for those of you who don't know, Lauren Daigle is a contemporary Christian artist. Uh, where Lauren Daigle said she couldn't decide if homosexuality is a sin. Why do famous Christians refuse to accept what the Bible says so clearly? Uh, I, Penny, I'm not a music person. I really don't know Lauren Daigle. I am aware of the uh, mini uproar that's going on. I guess she's pretty good and pretty popular. Um, but remember that um, her livelihood um, depends on people not hating her. And I just think that she is um, um, somebody who's, who's afraid to risk um, what the Bible says clearly because she doesn't want people to stop buying her music. Uh, I think she probably was under a lot of pressure from her publisher. I also think that um, the question that she was asked on this particular program, I actually listened to the question, and the, the, the radio host sort of set her up and caught her off guard, and he asked one of those gotcha questions right at the beginning, and I just don't think she was prepared. Unfortunately, I think a lot of time our Christian artists, while they sing such beautiful music, I think sometimes... Um, they don't spend enough time in their Bibles and they find themselves who are um, sort of really short. Pray for her. Anonymous called into the studio and said, what is the purpose of an evangelist and what is their role in the church? Um, evangelists, the role in the church, let me start this from the end. We're inside four minutes, so this will probably be the last question that we get. Uh, the purpose of an evangelist in their role in the church. Their role in the church can be a little bit dicey because by definition, uh, by calling, they're, they're not in the church a lot. Uh, an evangelist is a person who is gifted by God to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're all familiar with the famous evangelists, people like Billy Graham and Calvary Chapel has uh, one of our own who's uh, um, sort of taken up Billy Graham's mantle, uh, Greg Laurie uh, of the Harvest Crusades, who is on radio here uh, in San Antonio. Um, and uh, Greg, I know um, well, he's, uh, he's also a pastor, but he's got a great staff and he is gone a lot. You know, uh, I'm, I'm one of those pastors that believes the pastor ought to be in church. I'm not called to go out and evangelize. Greg is. 
And so his his role in the church is he serves as pastor when he's there. Uh, but in the meantime, evangelists, let me give you an idea. We've got um, a street witnessing team. And I, I don't think any one of the men or women on that street witnessing team, they go out every Saturday. Uh, I don't think any one of them would say, oh, I'm an evangelist. But what they do is they go out and do the work of an evangelist. And they're telling people about Jesus. They're leading people um, uh, to, 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 to get saved. And so that's the purpose of an evangelist. It is to be a herald of the good news. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul was an evangelist among all the other things that he was. Um, when you see, Anonymous, when you see an evangelist at work, somebody who's gifted in that calling, it is a beautiful thing to watch. Um, I'm pretty good evangelizing with people one-on-one. Um, I, I'm not a, a crusade evangelist. You know, I'm not one of those guys that's going to uh, fill a baseball stadium with people. Uh, I like to look in people's eyes. I like to talk to them. And um, that's just a gift of evangelism working through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you see people, we've had, we've been honored here at our church to have, I'm going to guess a half dozen or so people over our 23 and a half years who were so gifted when they would stop and talk to somebody, you just knew they were going to get saved. You just knew it. You could see it happening. We, we've done some Joy of Jesus's in, in foreign countries. And uh, uh, on our trip to London and Scotland some years ago, um, we had a, a, a guy named uh, Raul with us. And honestly, he was the best one-on-one evangelist I've ever seen. Just the best. It's a beautiful thing to watch. So that's their role, Anonymous. Thanks very much. Hey, we're out of time today. Remember to pray for our ladies on the women's retreat. It starts tomorrow. It's not too late to sign up. You've been listening to the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. I'll be back live on Friday on AM 630 The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.